A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Judice. Welcome to your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. My name is Tug Cowart. You're listening to X3. Download the Extra 106.3 app to listen to this show anytime, anywhere. We always get into great information about the law because everybody at some point is going to be faced with some sort of situation that they need legal counsel and legal advice. And how you get it and who you get it from is very important. And these two are the best in the business. We'll start with how to get a hold of you, Bruce. Yeah, it's Bruce Hagen, H-A-G-E-N. Uh, you can find my website for a lot of information, hagen-law.com. Uh, you can call me, 404-522-7553, anytime. Uh, email Bruce at Hagen-Law.com. One thing I would mention about the website, uh, the number one most popular page on our website that's searched and checked out uh, most often is we have a parent-teenage driver contract on there. Uh, I had developed this years ago, and my son, who's now a lawyer in my office, was 15 years old and about to start driving, and I threw together a 10-page uh, contract of sort of rights and responsibilities for parents and their teenage drivers. And it, and it goes both ways. It, it's to let the kids know that it's okay for them to get in touch with the parents if there's any kind of trouble or if they've done something maybe that they shouldn't have done, uh, that there's not going to be judgment, there's not going to be attitude. Parents will come get them, no questions asked, because you can deal with that the next day. What you don't want to deal with the next day is having a kid in the hospital or dead. And so yeah. um, it's a great so resource, and I encourage parents to go check that out, Teenage Driving Contract, on our website. But um, great to be here on another day. Braves uh, in the NLCS. We're very excited about yeah, all of it. It's been a, been a heck cool. of a week for Georgia sports. So no kidding. To it. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. But, but just to your parents, uh, student or parent uh, children contract, I always tell my son Jacob, who's 17, I'm like, everything is replaceable except you. Let's just do the right thing no matter what it is or when it is. Because Anything, the car, somebody else's car, whatever's going on, everything's replaceable except you. So I think that's so good. Ray, how do we get a hold of you in case we need your help? Yeah, Ray Judice, first of all, good morning. Ray Judice, attorney at law, 404-964-4185. And I've got a web page, too. <laughs> Ray you Judice, law. Seem to be com. Yeah. <laughs> These days. I remember when it first started, you know. Right. Oh, man, I got a web page through Bell South, you know. Yeah. I've got three pictures. And, and uh, I've got some information and some videotapes and how to do this and, and things I've done. And some of it's uh, entertaining. Some got a lot of old video clips of Nancy Grace yelling at me on the, right. her old TV show. And uh, I, I, I sometimes I look at it just and say, man, what did I really do that, you know, yeah, late right. at night in front of a national audience? And it was fun. Come to the office have a cup of coffee I, I send me a document that you want me to review and if you need a lawyer in an area of law that i don't handle which is primarily criminal cases trial work some injury cases i will get you to somebody that can handle that contract that employment opportunity or restrictive covenant which we're seeing so much of uh, I, i'm sure bruce you get those calls you know i just got terminated and they say they say i can't do this sales job in metro atlanta for the next six months hey i don't remember signing that well you did sign it <laughs> and most likely it's legal but we'll take a look at it or i'll get you to somebody to see if they can break it 
it's certainly a big issue in the radio business. And um, it certainly is. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not aware of having signed anything like that myself. But uh, a lot of the on-air talent uh, at every station has here, here. Uh, has issues like that in their contract. I was able to leave Radio Korea and come directly here. <laughs> there you go. I love yeah. it. I want to get started this morning with um, a conversation about Georgia's former insurance commissioner Jim Buck. Uh, Jim Beck, rather. He was sentenced to federal prison this past Tuesday for a scheme to steal from his former employer. He was uh, also uh, ordered to pay $2.6 million in restitution. The judge said he betrayed people close to him uh, for his fraud and then repeatedly lied on the witness stand. Federal boy, that's uh, that's legit right there. That's yeah, when you're in trouble. You're right about that. There is no messing around. And so... Uh, Mr. Beck had been convicted back in July on 37 counts of fraud, money laundering, tax crimes, uh, among other things. And so, um, you know, this is money that he stole about two and a half million dollars and f- used it to finance his campaign for reelection as Georgia's insurance commissioner. Um, the money came from public funds, so it's taxpayer money that was stolen. Um, but th- through the insurance commissioner's office, there's something. Uh, created there called called the Georgia Underwriting Association that has money to um, help purchase insurance for folks who are having trouble getting insurance, right? They're uninsurable for some reason. And so this these funds are there to help support that. And so, um, you know, it, it's a real need, number one, and it's money that's siphoned out from the uh, state of Georgia budget, uh, which is funded entirely by us as taxpayers. So when you're stealing from that kind of a, a fund, um, yeah, they're going to throw the hammer at you. One of the things the feds do is by the time you get to trial or you're indicted, which happens first, they've generally got their case together. Uh, their investigators are called special agents. I may have said this before. So special agent Judice, I'm on the witness stand, and here's what the cross-examination sounds like. Uh, uh, special agent Judice, tell us about your educational background. Well, I went to Dartmouth undergrad with a major in political science. I went to Harvard. Then I was an 82nd Airborne. I'm a marksman. <laughs> okay, They are really good at what good. they do. Okay, and, and the jury is saying, I want you to marry my daughter or my son. <laughs> right. I want to adopt you, right. <laughs> you know. Right. And so you're already behind. But but the truth is they really are good at what they do. Uh, going back to Her- Herbert Hoover, who ran the FBI for generations, uh, it was you required as an FBI agent back then to have at least a master's degree or a law degree or be a CPA so that you were an expert in the area of law enforcement that you were working on. So they put their cases together. They get the Internet documents and the, and the text messages. So by the time they call you and your lawyer in to see if you want to enter a plea and get the special box checked, which means you cooperated with us early on, maybe it led to some other prosecutions, you gave us some money. You came in there with at least half of the two-plus million dollars in a cashier's check. He would have gotten a whole lot less than the seven years in federal prison that the judge just sentenced him to. But he rolled the dice, went to trial, and lost, and uh, he's going to pay the price. Yeah, and apparently thought that he could just sort of bluff his way through trial by giving all kinds of wild testimony, um, you know, talking about other folks being involved here who there was no evidence that some of them even existed, you, you know, let alone that there's any ability to, to figure out who they are or what their angle in this was. Um, but, you know, it, it's we mentioned that this is the feds, right? And the feds don't mess around. Um, and, and this is what you see here is an example of it. But it also shows you, I mean, th- this is a guy in Beck who is incredibly well-connected, incredibly 
uh, gifted as a politician and fundraiser. And, uh, you know, he was head of the Georgia chapter, the uh, Christian coalition. You know, I mean, this was a guy who had risen through the ranks and had a lot of people's trust and had the gift of gab because sure. all the politicians do. Um, had this been tried in a state court and certainly in a state court in a county where th- this person was known or had influence, who knows how that would have played out? You know, that that's where you you if you're ever going to see uh, somebody getting a home field advantage, it's it's in certain state courts, especially rural state courts, where that kind of thing has been known to happen all over the country. And, and you know, it's. It's refreshing to see somebody who is connected like that still having to face the the judgment for the actions that they've done. Uh, you just don't see that typically. Not often. I, it right. does feel that way. It does feel that way. And and so you know, it's an example where money didn't save him, um, connections didn't save him, whatever politics he tried to work behind the scenes didn't save him. He had to face the wrath of a federal judge who, as we've talked about in the past, although they're appointed and have political appointments. They're there for life. They they don't care about reelection or or taking off an electorate or anything mm-hmm. like that. They're just they're there. So now we've got uh, an interim insurance commissioner who's been in place for the last few years. There's uh, an election coming up, and uh, certainly this issue will be raised and discussed. But hopefully it's behind them, and folks can sort of move on to whatever the heck it is that insurance commissioners do. Does anybody know? Uh, I do not. <laughs> right. Well, I, I know what they do. Uh, among, I'll well, be the first one. I'll, I'll tell you, I know some of what they do. Yeah. And, and, and among the things that they're charged with doing is regulating the insurance industry and uh, punishing wrongdoers, uh, making sure that the system is fair. We run into this all the time because there are several insurance companies, not to name names, but there are several of them out there who are just, when it comes to liability cases, like the ones that Ray and I handle, are the worst of the worst. They will never pay a fair settlement. They will never treat people fairly, and they just abuse the power that they have because they control the checkbook. Well, this is where a strong insurance commissioner can make a difference and step in and say, we're not tolerating this sort of behavior. When people have an insurance claim that's a valid insurance claim, uh, it needs to be paid, and it needs to be paid fairly and promptly. And insurance companies can be punished for that sort of thing. But when I have people complain to me about the way that insurance companies treated them, I'll ask them the same question. How much money did you donate to the insurance commissioner's race in the last campaign? Or who even just named the insurance right. commissioner. Nobody right. knows, no. right? right? And, and the answer is zero because nobody donates money to that, right? right. Except and say, insurance companies. So I said, who do you think donates? Yeah, <laughs> That's who right. do you think gets these folks elected? And the insurance defense firms. And, and right. where, so where is their loyalty going to be, if anywhere? Is it to the people or is it to the people who keep them in office? Yeah, let's talk about this man's day in court. And Bruce brought up a great issue, I think great topic about where do the jurors come from? So this case probably could have been prosecuted in any one of the counties where the crime was committed, Fulton, DeKalb, or whatever county in the state of Georgia, 159 counties. And he would have had an advantage there if it was a county where maybe he grew up, went to school, went to church, does business. Some of the jurors say, hey, wait a second, old Jim's a pretty good fellow. I don't think he did this. But instead, it's a federal jury pool, which is the Northern District of Georgia, which is probably going to maybe cover some of the counties where this man has some connections, but a whole different jury pool. And so he didn't get to home cook the prosecution, he got home cooked by the federal prosecutors. Yeah, and and the, if if there's more we want to cover on this, we'll, we can do it on the other side of the break because there is a lot I'm sure that that we can get into as far as like when when does he have to go and report to be put in jail? At, what is he uh, 
what is he uh is he monitored during the time from now until that point like what's happening to him how does that work out and we can cover some of that in the segment that's coming up here on your day in court with bruce hagan and ray judice as we talk about the um the indictment the uh georgia's ex-insurance commissioner jim beck seven years in federal prison we'll continue this conversation and then we'll uh, there's a couple other stories that we'd like to get to including Atlanta's airport breaking a new record for guns seized by the TSA at checkpoint. What in the world is going on? Like you just accidentally forget your gun? Anyway, we'll cover it all. Coming up next here on Extra 106.3, this is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagen and Ray Judice. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. My name is Tug Cower. We've been talking about Jim Beck, the ex-Georgia insurance commissioner that got seven years in federal prison. What is it that he does from now until the date that he has to report to jail? What happens with him? Well, he was on pretrial release on bond at home, house arrest basically, up to trial. From the time of the indictment, he had to be booked in, of course, had to stay at home. He might have been released from home to go to the doctor, a couple things like that. And he will stay in the same situation, maybe a little more level of monitoring. We might monitor someone who was not guilty until proven (laughs) guilty, uh, and then has been proven guilty a little more. Uh, Sentencing is towards the end of the year. In that period of time, the federal probation department will do what's called a pre sentencing investigation extremely thorough and they will look at his entire background his level of education his work employment any other criminal activity and at the same time his criminal defense team his lawyers will be submitting what we call mitigation evidence we're trying to mitigate lessen the amount of punishment big problem in federal cases when you go to trial and you don't take that deal that the prosecution offered you up front early in the game and there's a special box literally it's a it's, it's a box on a sentencing form that the the, the prosecutors, the federal prosecutor says, yes, judge, he cooperated and we want his sentencing to be towards the mandatory minimums rather than the maximums. So when you pass it up, now the lawyers have a really tough row to hoe, which is to push back against the prosecution's position. And of course, this judge listened to the evidence. The judge is bound by the jury's verdict. It's only a question of the magnitude of sentencing. They're going to put together letters and probably there'll be some people of faith that will give that perspective. Uh, His favorite high school coach, uh, next door neighbor about how he mows their yard and comes over with cookies for Christmas. He comes out from all directions. When I do these things, and, and you know, sometimes we have to even on a guilty plea clients tend to think that the more of the 
these letters, the better it is. Not Generally, it's not how true. I approach it. I, I tend to think if you can put one arrow through the middle of the target, <laughs> you know, you're better yeah. off than arrows all over the place mm. uh, because it distracts. So that's what's going to happen. Where will he go? Probably not a maximum detention. We have two in this country. They're super maxes. One's in uh, Marion, Illinois. That's the original one. There's another one out in Utah, and that's where the Unabomber and, you know, terrorist bombers and the guy that exploded the bomb at the Boston Marathon, that's where those people go. Um, there may be people who were cheated in this case that feel that's where he should go, but mm-hmm. I don't think so. Where in the country he's placed, that's actually a very important part of the sentencing, and that's actually something that the defense team will try to negotiate so that he can be perhaps placed near family. Or is there a medical unit? I don't know the gentleman's medical problems. And if that's part, something that's existing, my mitigation team on behalf of my client is going to point out, hey, he's got a heart problem. He needs these medications, et cetera, et cetera. He's got an ailing family member that he is the sole provider for. Those things we want to bring out. Yeah, what he might consider doing is converting to Orthodox Judaism and getting on a restrictive kosher-only diet. A good diet. Uh, you know, I mean, I understand he's former uh, head of the Georgia chapter of Christian Coalition, but it's never too late to uh, <laughs> change and you know become one of the chosen people. Uh, but they, but within the federal prison system, uh, there are certain facilities that accommodate folks who are of Orthodox Judaism faith. From what I understand, it's uh, you know in the context of understanding that they're all prisons. Right. Mm, yeah. None of this is going to the Four Seasons for a long weekend. But in relative comparison to some other federal prisons, it's apparently one of the best setups you could have. If anybody out there is listening is facing this choice, you might want to consider uh, letting your sideburns grow out, showing up in a long black coat, putting the yarmulke on. Uh, to, you know, talk never to pay the re- rabbi. Never pay retail. <laughs> Don't pay retail. Hey, now you're just perpetuating stereotypes. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Because I'm a Christian and I'm trying to never play retail. Pay retail. Either. Yeah, this is definitely trying and not. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not it's forbidden. <laughs> How did they come to the seven years? Like, what's that process about? Well, there's what we used to call sentencing guidelines, which were absolutely mandatory, you know, and federal judges really hated it because it took their discretion. And that. Not every case is the same. You know, two people can be charged with the same statutory crime. Uh, but they could have different backgrounds and potentially different futures that a judge would like to take in place. And judges, you know, most judges wanted to be judges. They liked that aspect of it, and they and they wanted they didn't like their uh, very important role in sentencing being so heavily restricted by those guidelines. Now they're they're guidelines with a small G. You know, it's more it's very seriously suggested between this so that there's some consistency. That's the flip side of that. So that the person that commits this federal crime in the Northern District of Georgia and is convicted by a jury here and a person has exactly this and it's this kind of fraud goes on everywhere in the country every day and more and more of it that there's at least some uh, equal or close to equal sentencing and that's part of that I, I did want to say something that that Bruce brought up earlier about uh, the jury pool a lot of judges want the jurors in the state courts because the judges are elected okay every four years so the jury comes back with a guilty verdict and there's 12 jurors and two alternates, and the judges will say, all right, now, ladies and gentlemen, jury, we're going to sentence right now. We may take a 10-minute break. You're welcome to stay. You're welcome to stay. And the jurors love that. They love to see the judge. And why is that? Man, that's 12 votes. And they go back to their churches and their school boards, and they say, oh, that Judge Judice threw the book. We did our job, and he did his job, and I'm going to vote for him if I can remember to next time around. Right. So that's it. And then the feds, the feds, the judges are appointed for life, 
absent high crimes and misdemeanors, they have to be impeached, right, under under the Constitution, if I believe that's correct. If they're if they're a constitutional appoint a judge that has to be approved by the Senate, correct? Is, it happens. Right. I mean, there have been, there have been judges who have, who have, it's not easy. It's not easy. <laughs> but it happens. There was a federal judge in Florida, I think, is it Hastings? Algie Hastings that, that was convicted. Right, yeah. Well, guess what he did? He's now the congressperson from that district. I think he did pass away very recently within the last couple of years. So he went out and ran for re-election as a congressperson from that district. But nonetheless, the process is there. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's uh, it seems a lot. There's a lot of information, a lot to wade through. It's so much different on a federal case than than like you guys. It's a about. lot different. I mean, and and they're, the, the lawyers that practice regularly in the federal courts. Yeah. I'll see them in the state courts every once in a while, and yeah. vice versa. I'll take right. a federal case, but uh, there really are specialists, and there's actually lawyers in this country, and, and a very dear friend of ours, Drew Finling, who's a fantastic lawyer here in Atlanta. Uh, he's actually a nationally known, not only federal defense lawyer, but a sentencing guy. I mean, he really understands the nuances in his team wow. of how do you present a great mitigation package. Actually, how do you try the case so that when you're in front of the judge on, on sentencing, you say, Your Honor, we raised some significant issues here. The jury struggled for three days. You don't want to overdo that. But but he really is a pro. And there are those people out there that just get hired, lawyers, yeah. for the sentencing aspect of the case. Yeah. And the federal prosecutors are their own unique brand of lawyer. And, and you know, they're really – it's a tough job to get. It's a, it's, it's a tough job to keep. But, man, there are some sharp folks down there who prosecute these cases. And, you know, unfortunately, they're, they're really sort of immune from everything uh, in the sense that they, they can handpick the cases they want to pursue. You know, Ray mm -hmm. was saying that by the time somebody is indicted, there's so much evidence against them. Well, that should tell you that there were how many more cases where they didn't have that right. you know, mountain of evidence. So, so they say, well, we don't have to prosecute one of these. So when a prosecutor is like, yeah, my conviction record is 99.9%. Because he's able to hand select. Yeah, how did you even lose that yeah, right? <laughs> one case out of, you know, out there at all? Well, plus is the unlimited resources. And I always say, you, don't th you think you're tough? When you're indicted and it says the United States of America versus you, okay, mm -hmm. Osama bin Laden, had an indictment with his name on right, it. And it took right. SEAL Team 6 a little while, but they got they him, got okay? Him. Yeah. And and so they can put a witness on a plane or a private jet in Wisconsin and have him in court at 9.01 in a good suit. I mean, they they can do what they need to do. They've yeah. got the, the experts at the lab up in Quantico and, the and the, you know, they just, the technology experts. Yeah. Oh my you gosh, really yeah. need to have a, a, a good budget and a good defense team if you're federally indicted. Yeah, man, I tell you. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to talk about. Uh, I want to uh, change directions just a little bit because there's something going on at the airport that you may not realize. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Everybody knows Atlanta's the world's busiest airport, but apparently it is also very, very busy in the fact that they have confiscated 391 weapons at the airport and it's like wow why are people first of all why are you taking a, a, a weapon to the airport even if you have a concealed carry you know i think there's probably some rules on 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 how all that stuff works but for they to for them to be so busy with this and it's and it's much greater than it was even in 2019 um what happens when you decide that you are going to take a gun with you to the airport how how are you because I, I assume you're arrested right you are and I get these cases uh, okay and there's there's really 
two separate types of cases. They're legitimately the person who carries a weapon, licensed, lawful weapon. It's not hot. The serial number hasn't mm-hmm. been filed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they carry all the time. And they really did forget. They mm-hmm. had it in their gym bag because uh, they went to the gym. They needed to be armed. Well, <laughs> and, or, 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 you know, look, is it that different for, for that person Ray's describing than somebody who left their water bottle in the backpack and is like, oh, I forgot that was exactly there. Right. I have to right. dump out That's the water right. when, I, yeah. when I get there. So there are those the, cases. The difference is there's a $14,000 fine from the TSA. Well, that's right. Guy. They're handled. They're, they're sort of decriminalized. Is it against the law? Yes, it is. You're written a citation, and then you'll get a letter from the federal government, from TSA, that says, uh, we'll, we're going to fine you X amount of dollars. So if it's a first offense, it, I think it runs around three grand. I've seen that. And you can go down to federal courthouse and pay the fine and plead no low. And it's just not a it's not a it's a problem because you got to pay the money and maybe hire me. But there's a different kind of case. And that's the case that just arose here at, at Atlanta Hartsfield uh, where somebody's trying to smuggle, what, a dozen or so guns in uh, in gaming machines. Now, that's a criminal. That's a criminal organization. Mm-hmm. Someone who's trying to move weapons through the system to get to probably nefarious people on the other side, not, you know, not duck hunters or uh, people that are going to use these weapons for home defense. So then when you when you are like what what happens in the moment that they realize that you've got a gun that uh, that TSA scans it, whether it's in your bag, on your person, whatever it is, what happens from that second? They, they escort you from the metal detector from security to a little room with no windows <laughs> and they sit you on a little plastic chair yeah right. and immediately they're running a background check on you right. Do you have warrants out on bond parole are you a criminal have you had prior gun charges have you had problems with tsa like you acted up on the plane and we had to wrestle you to the ground and duct tape you mm-hmm. okay those person's gonna have some problems yeah, yeah they're, gonna, they're gonna uh find their luggage if they check the bag they're gonna get that right off the plane um they're going to fly spec every last thing that you brought with you because if you have these guns what else do you have with you uh, why are you carrying twelve thousand dollars in cash? Uh, which is that seems more like to open up a different yeah, can of worms it, altogether. It's, it's, it look, how do you feel? I think everybody who's listening has had that experience of going through the airport and the the TSA officers say, "Whose bag is this?" Mm-hmm. And they're pointing to your bag, and, and you like, know oh, you don't no. have anything in it. But still, yeah, how that, do you feel at that moment? Yeah. So, right. so I want to tell a war story. <laughs> I get an emergency call. This is a couple of years ago before COVID when a lot of people were traveling from a, from a prospective client. And she's saying that her boyfriend, who had just flown in from another town, is running, literally at this moment, on the cell phone, running through Hartsfield uh, with, without his shoes on and his belt because they had gone through the metal detector because they found the gun. And he's running. And he takes off. And he takes off. And so, of course, they're following him on the cameras. He gets on the MARTA train. And, of course, they're waiting for him when he gets off the market train. So that case went from something that was very manageable because he really did forget. Now, there was a little bit of a problem with the gun. It was a very old gun, and the serial numbers have been filed off, which in and of itself is a, is a crime, which led law enforcement to say, well— Let's take it out to the GBI, and they shot the bullet in the bucket of wax or water or whatever they do in ballistics. I'm not demeaning it, but they tested it yeah. to see if the gun could be linked up to any further crimes. Fortunately, it had no, it was not, mm-hmm. so we were able to resolve that matter, but he really compounded the problem. First of all, don't have a gun with the serial number filed off right. trying to get through the security yeah. at Hartsfield sure. or any other airport. And then don't break the law while breaking the law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Right. But it also raises a point, and, and you know, Ray is 100% right about this, that it comes 
comes up in a lot of different contexts. There was so there's a problem, right? This guy is caught traveling with a gun. That's a problem. It's a problem that we as lawyers can deal with and fix. It's what he did after that. Yeah. That that that's when you say like, hey, look, I might have been able to resolve this for you, and and you know you only had to pay me a thousand bucks. I could go take care of this in a day, and we'll be done. But now, you know, this is going to cost you $25,000 to hire me. And by the way, you're going to be spending some time in jail because now I can't fix this because you're so stupid Mm -hmm. for what you did after you were caught. And it comes up in all kinds of financial transactions, right? You get caught, but the things you did afterwards to hide it are worse. There's the crime and there's the cover-up. It comes up in civil context. And I hate Mm -hmm. to say it, we've seen it with lawyers that we know who, and doctors that we know. They make a mistake. It's malpractice. You make a mistake, right? But it's a mistake, and and the mistake can be uh, accounted for in the sense that if it's a mistake that rises to the level of legal or medical malpractice, then there's a damages amount that goes along with that based on whatever harm the mistake caused. And most every lawyer and most every doctor is going to have insurance to cover that sort of thing. But then when the lawyer or doctor lies about the mistake or tries to cover up that mistake by destroying documents, changing documents, creating false documents, getting trying to get people to lie for them, like among their staff. Now you've taken a problem that was manageable, that, that you made a mistake, mistakes happen, can be addressed. Now you've injected fraud into it and maybe brought other folks into it, and now you're going to get the worst imaginable treatment. You may not even be insured against that sort of behavior. And that's where the word punitive damages often comes in in the civil world, yep. is what did you do? Not only the act of negligence, it's the cover-up. It's the punitive that you need to be punished, not for making a mistake. Okay, financially you made a mistake or whatever. The insurance company writes a check or your premiums go up. Mm. That's not a good day for any professional to to have those kind of claims and those kind of cases. But it's the cover-up where you may lose your license to practice law or medicine and maybe commit a crime. Spying on the Democratic National Committee is not what did Nixon in. It was the cover up afterwards. That's right. Uh, that really is uh, why Nixon ended up, right. you know, out of office. Yeah. So, among, among the, other things. Do yeah. you, do y'all, as as practicing lawyers, do you take that into account? I'm sure. I'm sure you do, right? Like the guy went through with the gun. Guy went through with the gun and then ran. Like is is that actually? A case that you steer away from, or is that the one you actually want to jump in and help? I, I don't. I don't, I don't steer don't away from any case. No, okay, just, just, all right. Just, as long as they can afford them, they don't, they don't steer away from anything. You know, come yeah. on in, and you know. No, no. I mean, look here. In the personal injury context, there are cases we steer away from, but okay. there are cases where I don't even believe a client, or mm-hmm. or, or they have a, a, a claim that I just feel. Hey, look, because of various factors, and there might be fifty different ones we're looking at. This is just not the sort of claim we can be successful on, and I would rather uh, have this conversation with you on the front end than on the back end. So we turn away a a select few, and certainly there's some that just don't hit the threshold of really being worth pursuing. But I still try to help folks, even even with those kind of cases, because if I can spend a little bit of time or you know devote the resources of my office to help somebody like that, even with a tiny little case, uh, I want to help people. And I know what they're up against with the evil empire of insurance companies. So, And, and you never know when the person you help remove a thorn from their paw 
uh, has something that's much greater than that, and they remember that, yeah, you know, you did me a favor uh, and didn't charge me anything and, and didn't ask for anything, and you didn't have to do that, and, and four other lawyers hung up on me, but you're the one who helped. You know, they when, when grandma gets uh, run over by a reindeer with a lot of coverage, they, they call you up and, and you handle that case. The uh, soft sprain whiplash case of today is the herniated disc case of tomorrow. <laughs> well, there there are two kinds of cases I or I shy away from. There are clients that come to my office and they have a, a one foot thick file folder and they've been released by three prior lawyers on their case. And I look at at least one or two and I say, these are pretty good lawyers. There's something, there's either something wrong with the case or something wrong with the client or some deadly combination of both that these lawyers fired, released themselves from, from the case. So that's one I shy away from. The second is, and, and please, if anybody's listening, don't say these words to any lawyer. This is an open and shut case. Oh, There's no wow. such thing. Yeah, okay? right. It's just no yeah. such thing. Right. There's no such thing as an easy root canal. There's no such thing as minor heart surgery. And there's nothing like an, uh, an open and shut case. It does not work that way. Yeah. You said, though, they fired themselves. Is that just meaning they just didn't take the case or like they took it and then and Could then be a little mixture of both. Uh, sometimes clients will come to me. We'll do the consultation. I'll review the file and three or four days later without signing a contract. And I tell them I'm going to let them know. And I'll say, thank you. We can't represent you in this matter. I usually keep it very, very, you know, business reasons. Uh, the statute of limitations is two years from the date of your accident or whatever. The Atlanta bar, the Georgia bar have a free referral service. Good luck. If they've signed a contract, I have a little more thorough letter because I'm I'm exiting the contract as paragraph 12 of my contract allows me to do. I send that certified. I send it by FedEx. I send it to email. I text it. Mm-hmm. I make sure they cover got all that. The, I'll yeah, all cover the, myself. The right. right, because that person left my office having signed a contract thinking that we're representing them. We need to make sure they know we're not representing them. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and there are bar rules uh, for that as well. You know, Ray and I are part of a profession that's governed by the State Bar of Georgia, and so there are rules about um, how you're supposed to go about doing that and, and terminating the contract. And Ray's exactly right. When there have been other lawyers involved, uh, we need to know what happened. I, I always will ask somebody if they want me to review a case that some other lawyer has. Like, um, I'm going to call the lawyer uh, if, with their permission, uh, if they don't give me permission, that's, you know, that's, a, that's enough of an answer right there. Um, but, you know, we had one come in in the last few months, and, and she says, this is a million-dollar case, and this lawyer, uh, had, you know, he had it for a month, and they turned it away. And I said, you know, that's interesting because I know that lawyer, uh, and even if I didn't, I know lawyers, um, and I haven't known any of them to walk away from million-dollar cases. A third of a million-dollar case um, carried a two. That's, <laughs> hey, wait a second. That's real money. Yeah. At some point, that's going to become real <laughs> yeah. money. So I said, I'm going to look a little further into this. I, I, didn't, I didn't just hang up on her. You know why? Because it might have been a million-dollar case. Yeah, it might have been. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, who am I to, to judge at that point? But I certainly wanted to look into it and find out what's what. And, of course, when I called the, the lawyer, guess what it wasn't? A it million wasn't, it dollar wasn't a million-dollar case. Well, it was a million-dollar case with $1,000 worth of insurance coverage. I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah, just, right. You know, and sometimes that's sometimes one of the problems. And, and let's talk about one thing that I'm seeing come up, and Bruce, I'm probably in your practice. Hospitals, if you go to a hospital in an automobile accident case for treatment, I mean, I'm talking about from the ER to being in surgery, everywhere in between, the hospital has a statutory, that means Georgia law, lean on your personal injury case for the Mm -hmm. amount of services, reasonable Mm -hmm. and customary. That lean, I have to, uh, we lawyers have to honor that. The insurance company won't settle the case unless we sign documents that we're going to satisfy the lean. Increasingly, 
hospitals are not turning their bills over to Medicare, Medicaid, Peach Care, and some insurance companies because they know it's going to get cut down and reduced under an agreement. So $100,000 worth of medical services by whatever hospital, right, they get $27,000 back. They'd rather have a $100,000 lien on your million-dollar case because they're going to get 100 cents on the dollar. It's been challenged, and the Georgia Court of Appeals is upholding those liens. This wow. may be a topic we need to come back yes. and discuss separately because it's really a horrible thing that affects consumers on a daily basis. So many of my clients, especially when I have that great privilege of representing a North Fulton or Cobb County Republican, uh, they just can't believe that a trial lawyer is here trying to help them and that a medical provider is trying to steal from them. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening because the medical providers are stealing money right out of the pockets of injured Patients who have health insurance that's supposed to pay their bills and instead is taking money right out of their pockets that should be there for the injured person. Well, let's talk about that in the final segment. we got about uh, nine minutes, and we'll go over that next on Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words. It's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back to Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3. My name is Tug Cowart. We were just talking about guns at the airport. We now have a foolproof plan to help all the shootings that happen at Lenox Mall, and it's provided free of charge by Bruce Hagan. Yeah, and you know, look, I'm not running for Atlanta City Council. I'm not running for mayor. I don't have a political agenda. I'm certainly not in favor of City of Buckhead seceding from the City of Atlanta. But I do have a plan that I believe would absolutely eliminate gun violence and most, if not all, of the crime at Lenox Mall itself. Anybody who's been to Lenox Mall knows the physical layout. You've got an enormous parking lot that circles the entire building uh, and then various entrances to the building. They've started putting metal detectors in some but not all of the entrances which is good. Maybe you need them at the other ones. But here's my plan. It's very simple. You charge $20 per person in each vehicle to enter that parking lot. $20 mm-hmm. per person. And with that $20, each person gets a voucher for $20 to spend inside the mall. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that this might create a hardship for those who don't have $20, but I would ask if you don't have $20 to spend, why are you going to the mall? Right? So $20 to get into the parking lot per person inside the car. Then they can spend it anywhere you go inside that mall. You take that voucher, you get $20 worth of food, worth of clothes, right. worth of perfume, uh, maybe for a back rub or chair massage, whatever they do at 
the kiosks, mm-hmm. right. and you keep out the folks who are just circling the lot, looking to pick off the uh, limping doe at the back of the herd. You eliminate vendetta crimes or folks who are specifically following somebody to try to get after them. I think it's a doable and really workable plan that will eliminate 99% of the violence uh, at Lens and make customers who are there to shop feel more comfortable. Well, I like the plan. I like the idea, but let me suggest something a little different. Okay. Uh, Bruce and I grew up in uh, metro New York City areas, and when we were kids in the 60s and 70s, the biggest crime deterrent in New York City at the time was a New York City cop, two of them walking side by side, swinging a billy club. Yeah. Why don't you put some foot foot soldiers, feet on the ground, boots on the ground, real law enforcement in that facility and in, in any place where there's crime. I love the officers in their cars, but they're in their damn cars. Yeah. New York City, you know, the other one was an officer on a horse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's how, you know, every parade, every foreign dignitary that comes to New York City is greeted by a, a, an army of New York City cops on horses, helmets, and, and swinging batons. And you know what doesn't happen? Problems. Yeah. I see where you're coming from. Of course, it'd be backed up traffic all up and down. I, I, like, I like horses in the mall, though. That sounds fun. Uh, <laughs> horse-mounted well, horse well, I'm telling officers. you, you, I think four officers. Yeah, just boots on the that, ground. And it would be a huge deterrent, and it would solve, you know, there'd be somebody there right away. It also ties in, and, you know, these are incidents of shootings that are taking place. There was one uh, Wednesday of this week that was initially reported to be at Lenox Mall. Turns out it was at an apartment complex near Lenox Mall. Look, these get a lot of attention. Shootings in Buckhead get a lot of attention from the media when they happen. At the, at the same time, on the same day, you had shootings in southwest Atlanta on Jackson Street, on Roosevelt Drive in southeast Atlanta. You had a person shot, Dahlia Avenue, a burglar shot. There's shootings all over Atlanta. The FBI reported a 30% uptick in murders in the last year nationwide you know it's a problem everywhere we saw we talked about the guns at the airport and it all ties in you know i mean i understand sure that some people think the solution is well if everybody had a gun then nobody would be a victim of gun violence uh i disagree with that wholeheartedly i think we have a problem with a proliferation of guns everywhere and guns falling into the hands of all the wrong people um so you know Separate from that, we've, I, I think like you, you have to get control of the situation of people just walking around who shouldn't be armed. You know, there's no more settling of a dispute with a punch in the nose. That was right. another no, thing uh, right. in, in the days of that cops with billy clubs. You know, the, uh, a conflict on the street typically ended with somebody just Very getting true. punched. And, and, and now, you know, a person is not punched, they're shot, and somebody just runs away. And, and as somebody who's in the system on a regular basis, let me throw this out. The city of Atlanta Police Department is underpersoned by several hundred officers. They're underfunded. The starting salaries for some of these officers are in the mid to high 30s. Are you kidding me? We're going to ask somebody to put their life on the line uh, to defend us for $37,500. And I could be off by a couple thousand, yeah, but, but I'm not still, off by much. I'm, the the number's right, low. That's right. And they need help. And politically, what they don't need is, quite frankly, leadership from the top that throws them under the bus and walks away from them. Which we've seen. Okay. And secondly, and there's a great article in our favorite New York Times about what a failure the Democratic-led defund the police policy has been when, in fact, in every city that 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 policy started, all the law enforcement has been refunded and extra funding because what? That didn't work. 
It didn't work in Minneapolis. It's not working in Atlanta. It didn't work in L.A. That's a failure. And I'll tell you something, and Bruce, you know, sometimes you and I disagree about politics a little bit. The Republican Party is going to hang that around the Democratic Party's neck in upcoming elections because that's their mantra. And it is a failure. And it was a knee-jerk reaction. And it backstabbed all the good law enforcement officers out there every day that are doing their job. Yeah, and there was uh, Morgan Freeman, the actor, and you guys may have seen this too. He came out and said, I am not in favor of any way of defunding the police. I think most police officers are trying to do the right thing. There are people. And I'm saying also I want to include all of public safety. You know, our fire people, our EMTs. Try to put out a fire at 3 o'clock in the morning in February, and, and you've got a crowd that's getting in your way and won't back off, and they're making TikTok videos. I mean, it's it's insane what's going on out there. So Yeah, and, uh, and I think the biggest failure of all that is the branding of it, the the phrase defund yeah, the police well, and branding. And, you know, so do your marketing better. Do your market research better. Reform the police. Help the police. the police. How about help the help police? The police. Yeah, help the police. When you talk about funding, you know, nobody wants a social worker coming to uh, the scene of – a guy with a gun who just shot somebody out of anywhere. But you do have the ability to say that, yeah, we've got a lesser level of engagement that we're going to send out to this particular domestic scrap or this this All fight in a, in a parking lot. There are other things you could That's do. Right. All for it. Interestingly, in Atlanta, Kasim Reed is running on a platform of, I'm going to add 750 police officers and we're going to give them all raises. Well, what do you think Kasim Reed got criticized for and hammered and why he didn't get reelected <laughs> was because he cut the police officers' pensions and wouldn't pay them when he was in, the mayor of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Now the police and firemen have come out in support of Kasim Reed because he's saying we're we're going to get you your money yeah. this time. You know, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see how the Atlanta mayoral race plays out. Quickly, we got about a minute left. Folks need your help, Bruce. How do they get to you? Yeah, it's real easy to find me. Hagen-Law.com is the website. Uh, you can email me, Bruce at Hagen-Law.com. You can call me 404-522-7553. Always available, always quick to return phone calls. Some lady called us recently just needing help to figure out how to get her will together. And so we uh, connected her to somebody good as well as gave her some self-help uh, remedies. And uh, there's nothing you're going to say that's going to shock or offend me. <laughs> so uh, give it a call. You can even try. Yeah, <laughs> I challenge you to try. Right. That's funny. And right. Ray Judice, 404-964-4185. And let me just say to all you Spider-Men, Catwomen, what's, what's that new uh, thing in Korea where they're, where they're killing themselves playing games? It's the, the, oh, the yes, game show. Yes. Whatever oh, it is, know. yeah, sperm whale or something, something crazy. Don't and when you're wearing those outfits this year and you get a DUI, Squid Game, Squid Game, all there you, you Squid Gamers, be careful. Halloween night, it's turned into this huge adult party, which is great. I like an adult party, but it's turned into a huge trap from law enforcement for partiers dressed in your Spiderman outfit and doing that walk and turn. I've got some great videos. <laughs> I've yeah. got to keep them, you know, it's yeah. confidential. But pay, pay the upcharge to Uber and Lyft right. on Halloween right. right. Take the ride share home and, and do yourself a favor. The best one I have is the, the carload of Teenage Mutant Ninjas oh, that overturned goodness. and scrambled oh, all through that's, the neighborhoods. It's fantastic. That's all we need. You can get them at <laughs> RagyLaw.com. This is Your Day in Court on Extra 106.3. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. 
Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 